One word of warning before this episode begins. It includes graphic descriptions that many people may find disturbing, and it's not suitable for children. Hello and welcome to On the Line. I'm Carl Richter, and this is our second special report on the Taylor Parker murder trial. Here with me is our crime and courts reporter, Lori Dunn. Hi, Lori. Hi, thank you. Uh, really dramatic stuff this week. Um, but first, I wanted to back up and, and touch on something that I forgot to mention last week, okay. which was some testimony that Taylor Parker could not possibly have been pregnant when she was claiming to be, correct? That's right. That was um, some testimony during the first couple of days. Um, Taylor Parker, when she was married to Tommy Wakasey, her first husband, she had a daughter from a previous relationship, and then they had a son together. And Tommy testified that they had decided not to have any more children, and Taylor had a tubal. So she couldn't have any more children, even though a doctor testified that that's not always 100%. And apparently in that case, it, it really wasn't because then later she had an ectopic pregnancy. She went to the um, doctor complaining about some pain and needed to have a, a cyst removed. They went in, they found the ectopic pregnancy. They went back out and asked Tommy, as her husband, if he would consent for her since she had decided not to have more children, he, they asked if he would consent to her having a hysterectomy. And they actually did a, a partial hysterectomy because of her age. She was still pretty young. Mm. And a full hysterectomy would have sent her into menopause. So they left an ovary so she would not go into full menopause. But even though it was called a partial hysterectomy, the uterus was gone. Right, right. And I think... When when the when the fake pregnancy came back up, she talked about well, it was only a partial, you know, to people that might like her boyfriend Wade. He he was a young guy. He did he didn't know a lot about women's medical right. issues. Right. And um, she said, well, you know, it is a miracle, but I only had a partial. But no, numerous medical people testified a partial hysterectomy you cannot be pregnant with. So. That was how that started. So we also heard um, a lot of testimony from Wade Griffin's mother and others that they had some really serious concerns about his relationship with Taylor Parker. Yes, and Connie Griffin testified uh, part of Monday and part of Tuesday, and it was it was pretty compelling testimony. I mean, she she had a was a witness to a lot of what went what was going on, and she um, she kind of felt like Taylor Parker seemed to want a more serious relationship than Wade did. But uh, and, and she she mentioned red flags. Wade had told his mother he did not want to get too serious with Taylor until some of the questions he had were answered, and one of those questions was why Taylor didn't have custody of one of her children. She her son with Tommy Wachese, Tommy had custody of. And um, Connie, Connie, you know, she, the Griffin family, Connie and her younger son, Tanner, were getting calls from people warning them about Taylor Parker's past of lying and fraud. And 
she she testified that, that Wade didn't want to hear it. Um, he had his own reservations, but at the same time, he kind of didn't want any his mom or his brother or his friends telling him. You know, he yeah. kind of had to figure it figure it out himself, kind of situation. He had a friend at one point um, told him that the whole thing was a scam, correct? Yes, um, a man he worked with, I believe it was his supervisor, um, tried to talk to Wade, and Wade became. A little angry, upset, but his friend testified that he did apparently confront Taylor that day, that it it did get through to him. He went home and and talked to her, but she managed to, whatever doubts he had, she always had a story to kind of make it make sense. It's, It's what the prosecution is claiming, that Taylor always had a story. And then we get to few days of, or at least a couple of days of testimony about the day of the alleged crime, correct? Yes. Much of Wednesday and Thursday's testimony were about the day of the crime, which was a busy, busy day in Bowie County that morning um, for all the different angles. Well, Bowie and McCurtain County, they had a, a crime scene in McCurtain. They had a crime scene in New Boston, and they had police officers and LifeNet kind of pulled into both separate things and then realizing that all this was connected. Yeah, we're talking about the scene of the alleged murder. Right, in New Boston. And in Oklahoma, where Taylor Parker had... Well, actually, she was still in Bowie County. Um, Oh, okay. Yes, I I misspoke on that. The hot... There was a scene at the hospital in McCurtain County right, right, right. later that morning where they proved that she had not given birth. Yeah, so she, it kind of went from New Boston to DeKalb to Idabel. She insisted on being taken to the hospital in Idabel when yes. a, a DPS trooper stopped to yes. uh, supposedly help her. Uh, after she right. had supposedly given birth to right. this baby. She, um, that, that was some pretty... Compelling testimony also. She had, um, the day of the murder started very early because like at 3 or 4 in the morning of October 9th, Wade Griffin left their home to take a load of hogs to a ranch in Oklahoma that would buy wild hogs for people to hunt. He thought this was a scheduled business transaction and that this landowner up there was waiting on him when, according to the prosecution, Taylor set the whole thing up using her spoof phones, Hmm. texting Wade, texting herself from a spoof number claiming she was the landowner, just so she, according to the prosecution, could get Wade out of the picture that day. Oh, wow. So Wade leaves very early and... Then the prosecution has video surveillance from an Easy Mart in New Boston on McCoy Boulevard where Taylor filled up her gas tank that morning. And then we have a little later in the morning a neighbor of Reagan Hancock's um, thinking things just didn't look right at her house. Her new puppy was out running around the road. The garage door was up. 
the young lady that lived across the road from the Hancocks knew Homer Hancock pretty well. They had gone to school together. This is Reagan's husband. Yes. Homer Hancock was at work in Texarkana that morning. Their neighbor, uh, I believe her name was Tiffany, sent Wade a me- uh, sorry, sent Homer a message on Facebook, I think, through Messenger, and said, hey, your, your new dog's out, and I'm about to leave to go shopping with my mom. I don't want your dog to get hurt. And he, he said, well, let me get a hold of, uh, of Reagan. And he never could reach her, and that, that kind of worried him. And he, he was in Texarkana, so it would have taken him a little ways to get back. But he did, when he still couldn't get her on the phone after a few tries, he got on the road heading back to New Boston. But he called Reagan's mother because she worked in New Boston just around the corner. So she would have gotten there a lot quicker, and she did. And that is, tragically, she found her, well, when she... She, she testified that she went by her, her granddaughter's daycare first and, and thought, well, if Kenley's at daycare today, then Reagan's out and about somewhere. And when she found out that Kenley had never been dropped off, she said she got a really, really bad feeling, got to the house, saw the garage door was up, which it usually wasn't, saw some blood on the pavement, um, thought, well, the dog's been running around and could have cut its paw goes up to the door, and there's a bloody thumbprint on the doorknob. She testified, and she knew then it wasn't a dog. It was something bad wrong. And she opened the door, calling for her daughter, saw blood on the kitchen floor, bloody shoe print. I believe the house was sort of open concept. You walk into the kitchen, you turn, you're looking right at the living room, and that's when she saw her daughter. And by all accounts... There's blood everywhere. There's blood everywhere. Um, Chad Ford, who is an investigator with Boone County Sheriff's Office, um, testified. He was called in to assist with New Boston PD because they did not have the resources. They had an officer out with COVID or an investigator out with COVID. Their other investigator was pretty new. They knew they needed some backup. Um, Chad Ford testified it, it was one of the bloodiest crime scenes he had ever, ever seen in his time in Bowie County. There was just blood. Um, this is very, uh, to me, this was one of the saddest and most compelling moments was when Jessica, who is Reagan's mother, said the first thing she saw was her daughter with red hair. And she said Reagan didn't have red hair. She was blonde. Hmm. And she realized it was blood. And she was face down. She kind of had one arm under, one arm stretched up over her head. She was wearing shorts, and there was just a lot of blood in her arms and legs. And that's when um, Jessica backed out of the house, back out into the carport, and, and called 911. While she was on the phone with 911, her husband... Marcus Brooks and his best friend Chris Hughes had been at their home in New Boston working on a car, and um, they were um, not too far behind Jessica to come check on Reagan. They were just in a separate vehicle. So they get there. Jessica is in shock, talking to 911, screaming she needed, needed help, and Marcus and his friend Chris started calling for Kinley because they didn't know where the little girl was. And, and Kinley is how old? Kinley was three and a half at that time. Oh, my God. 
And her grandmother, Jessica, who found Reagan, said she was almost later in testimony. She said she was afraid to look for her because she was afraid she would find her very injured or deceased also. But when Marcus started calling Kenley's name after four or five times, he did hear something from Kenley's bedroom in the, in the back of the house. His friend Chris went in to get her and, and said she was sitting on her bed with her covers pulled up, like to her chest. And when she recognized Chris, she did, she ran to him. And he wrapped her up in a blanket so she couldn't see anything because he had to carry her back through mm. the living room. Just another part of this whole tragedy. Yes, and very much so many victims. Yeah. People whose lives have just been changed. And that 911 call was played in the courtroom. Yes. It was very emotional, as you can imagine, finding her daughter, whom she was very close to. And the judge gave people a chance to leave the courtroom before it was played. Is that right? The judge did. He... That was probably the first testimony that was really, really would have been hard on the family. Mm-hmm. And he, before the jury came back in for that, he he told the people in the the gallery, gallery the I call it the audience, but mm-hmm. I think there's a court term. It's just the the gallery that um, if they can't be composed, he said I have to have composure mm-hmm. because the jury does not need to be distracted. He said this would be a good time for anybody that thinks that this could have really affected them to leave. And a, a few family members, they did leave. And I, I know a couple of them stayed, and that's that's very admirable to, for them to have been through that. And then they played 911 calls that day, or one 911 call that Taylor Parker made later that morning from the side of the highway. Yeah, let's hold off on that for okay. a minute. Um, Wayne Griffin arrives at the house at some point, right? No. No, no. I got that wrong. No. Sorry. Um, Reagan's husband arrived at the house. Yeah, that's what I yes. meant. I'm sorry. Yes. There's a lot of names. Don't sorry. worry. Everybody <laughs> in the courthouse has been doing this all week. Right. Um, Homer Hancock. Homer Hancock. Homer Hancock. Reagan's husband was on his way from Texarkana, mm-hmm. but his mother-in-law and father-in-law got there first. Right. Okay. And then he He, he did. He did get there and... Tried, I mean, you can't even imagine what he's going through because there was already crime scene tape up when he got there. He mm. knew. And his father-in-law and their friend wouldn't wouldn't let him in. They, He never went inside the house. His, his in-laws protected him from that, mm-hmm. you know, as much as they could. But, yeah. That's horrible. And it, so, yeah. meanwhile, Taylor Parker is seen... Driving erratically. Taylor Park, a, a DPS trooper, Lee Shavers, was parked on the side of Highway 82 in DeKalb near, I think he said it was DeKalb Middle School, just doing traffic surveillance. And he's about to pull out and and go to another location when all of a sudden this little dark car just comes flying down the highway, almost runs into a truck that was pulling out on the highway. I think he said it crossed the Center line, um, almost ran over a bicyclist on the shoulder. I mean, it was causing hazard some, lights on. Hazard right? lights, yeah. yes, hazard lights on. Gets back into the highway. He pulls it over, runs the number, and he, we we were able to see his dash cam 
video, which was which was helped kind of explain what was going on. And then once he was out of the car, we could see evidence from his body cam, which was also very helpful. He um, starts walking up to the car. The window's down. He said a woman is like got her hand out, motioning him. Mm-hmm. She he had pulled her over, and obviously she was erratically driving, but she still wanted him to come up. Right. He gets there. He's so calm. According to the video, he says, "Ma'am, what's wrong?" And about that time, he sees that she has a very small baby on her lap, and that the baby is in some kind of medical distress. And she told him she was driving from New Boston to go to the hospital in Idabel because that's where her OBGYN was, and that's where she was working with a holistic midwife. She said she had gone to Walmart in New Boston that morning to get some last-minute items, got back in her car, and somewhere between New Boston and DeKalb, she started feeling pressure, her water broke, and the baby came out. And the baby's umbilical cord was still the attached. The baby's umbilical cord was still attached, and the other end was coming out of Parker's pants, according to testimony. There was That's blood true. in the car on her shoe, on Taylor Parker's shoes, on her hands, on her face. I, I believe there know. was some on her face. The trooper. Testified, she kept saying, I've got to get to Idabel. I've got to get to Idabel. You need to let me go. He was like, ma'am, if you just gave birth, I can't let you drive. We're going to call an ambulance. Um, he said, we might need to get you to St. Michael's. No, no. She says, I can't go to St. Michael. I can't go to St. Michael. I've got to go to Idabel. Did anybody ever propose a reason why she insisted on Idabel? A, a lot of it came out in the days before that. It kind of goes back to the red flags. Mm-hmm. People who suspected something about her pregnancy, who knew she couldn't be pregnant, had put out alerts to mm-hmm. hospitals in Bowie County. Because a lot of people's minds went to her maybe trying to take a baby from the hospital mm-hmm. to end this pregnancy. Right. And... You know, Connie, Connie Griffin testified, Wade's mother, that she knew she wasn't pregnant, and she has guilt over that. But she never in her wildest dreams would have thought it ended the way it did. She eventually thought she'll fake a miscarriage. Right. To get sympathy. Never, nobody ever. Well, who would? Yeah, yeah. right. And, and that's what the prosecution pointed out. Has, any, has this ever happened before in Bowie County? No, you can't. They they should not beat themselves up over, well, this is kind of like what happened five years ago. No, it's never. It's never happened. And this sort of crime is very rare. It it's, seems to be rare. I got to say that as horrible as it is, the absurdity of the idea of her giving birth while she's driving – and then ending up with her pants still on and, and still being able yeah. to drive. And then trying to do CPR on the baby while trying to drive. Yeah. Uh, the trooper, obviously not a medical professional, could still tell that, you know, this baby did seem pretty lifeless, seemed definitely in distress. And 
was, you know, called the ambulance, was, was trying to get her to calm down, wait for the ambulance. And a couple of passersby. Yes, at this it was point just a weird, one of those crazy coincidences that one lady passing by had been a nurse. She had a nursing degree. And she was on a break on her, her job running some errands and drove by. She said she slowed down when she saw a trooper had a car pulled over, slowed down to give him plenty of space. And when she drove by, she noticed that car door was open and it looked like a woman with a with a, a very small baby. And the nurse said as she kept driving, she just, something told her, you know, that baby is in distress and you might be able to help. Mm-hmm. So she turned around, she went back, she asked the trooper. She said she was kind of playing over in her head, reminding herself how to do infant CPR because mm-hmm. it's different from adult CPR. She gets there, she asks the trooper if that's a baby in distress. He answers, it is. And about this time, a off-duty paramedic showed up. It was like all these people were trying to help out of the goodness of their heart. Yeah. And found out later they'd been duped. And it was just too late. Yeah. And... The, um, they, they said there were a lot of items in Taylor's car. She even had a bag of clothes, and they got her into some clean pajama pants because they assumed she'd given birth. They cut her leggings off of her, get her in clean pants, and the nurse helped her go sit in the passenger seat of the trooper's car while they're but, – and by this time, the first ambulance had arrived, but they had the baby. They were working – in on the baby in the back of the ambulance. Mm -hmm. Taylor was sitting in the trooper's car waiting on the second ambulance to come get her. And she was still just kind of pitching a fit to anybody that would listen about which hospital she had to go to Idabel, Oklahoma. And as the prosecutor pointed out, nothing against Idabel, Oklahoma, but it's a small town. It's a small community hospital. It doesn't have a NICU. Right. But Taylor kept saying that's where her midwife was. And that's where she needed to go. And then she also pointed out her boyfriend, Wade, was working in Oklahoma that day, and he could meet her there. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the paramedics, by the time they got the ambulance for Taylor, was like, we really need to take you to the closest hospital. And he said, at that point, it's going to be Titus County. Well, Taylor, I think it came up on the first or second day of testimony, used to work in Titus County at the hospital. And there were a lot of people there who knew she couldn't have been pregnant. And she kept pushing for Idabel. The paramedics looked up the exact distance. And Idabel was only three miles difference from Titus. So they agreed to take her to Idabel. Right. So that's where they wound up. And that's where... Now, the next step in the story is sort of people in both of these scenes sort of realizing that it was the whole thing. That was starting to happen Thursday afternoon Mm -hmm. in testimony. We heard from the police at the scene in New Boston, and we heard from a couple of nurses at the hospital in Idabel who were examining, who worked in the OB department and their job was to take care of, of Taylor, and they noticed right off there were some signs that she had not given birth. That's pretty much where testimony ended. I believe a, the actual doctor from the Idabel Hospital will be testifying Monday, maybe. And, and there was one part where a paramedic 
examined Reagan's body to determine that she yes, had blo- that the baby was, was no longer yes, there. Yes. Um, and then later he put it together with this other infant he call that he had heard. Going back to the crime scene in New Boston, the when the first officers get to the scene, they they say it's pretty standard if the victim is deceased without a doubt, with no signs of being revived, that they don't want LifeNet to come in because it's just more people. Right. Crime scene. They're not needed. Right. So they kept LifeNet outside. I guess LifeNet eventually returned to their headquarters. Um, Chad Ford testified that he, you know, the family was telling him Reagan was pregnant, and it came out how far pregnant she was. I think they said 35 or 36 weeks. That makes him think, well, what if we can save this baby? Mm-hmm. You know, if she's that far along. He calls a second LifeNet to come back out, and the LifeNet paramedic that res- that responded testified and even showed some video of, because Taylor was face down, they had to move her on her mm-hmm. back, and they they could tell, especially this paramedic who deals with medical things, that her her there was just no baby there. Right. There was just no baby. It was very obvious. And that's when that's when they started putting out alerts for for a missing missing newborn. That paramedic when he leaves to go about his day, his next business, you know, people in business People in the same line of work talk, and he hears that this other LifeNet group had been at a baby born on the side of the highway. And he said that's when something clicked. He called the police department, and he said by that time, somebody in the police department was making some connections, and they were already on their way. Mm. So testimony, I believe when it picks up Monday, is going to be the... Iterville Hospital officially determining this woman did not give birth and the police arriving. So we're getting kind of close to... That's sort of a guess, we should say, but um, that's probably... It's a guess, but it's probable. Yeah. So past sort of the real horrors of the the crime at this point, and it's going to be more about the aftermath, it seems like, moving forward. Yes, I believe that, and this is sort of speculation, but based on some things I've heard, that there's probably just a little bit more for the prosecution. Yeah. And then we'll see what the defense is, who they're going to call, and what kind of defense they're going to make. All right. Well, thanks again for um, covering this so well. Um, We're all really interested in it and uh we'll be reading about it in the gazette thank you and we'll be back here next week all right on the line is a texarkana gazette podcast recorded in star bear studio right here in downtown texarkana usa follow on the line on twitter at otltxk and on our website texarkanagazette.com slash podcast 
To support the show, post a positive review wherever you get your podcasts. The show is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Carl Richter. And I'd love to hear from you. Email me at krichter at texarcanagazette.com. I'll see you next time on the line. Save the date, October 15th, Farmers Bank and Trust presents Oktoberfest on the line. You won't want to miss it. Exclusive beer garden with premium tasting flights, gourmet hot dogs, sauerkrauts, and mustards. Kindergarten with a bouncy house and face painting and other kids' activities. There will also be local vendors, a German car show, and more. Live entertainment with local performers, including the Texarkana Regional Chorale and Grammy Award-winning polka band Brave Combo. Kids 12 and under are free. Saturday, October 15th is Oktoberfest on the line.